Thank you. A person that had a big influence on in my life was my grandfather, my father's father. He, uh, he passed away when I was 10, and, uh, but I, I think probably that one of the most influential figures in my life. He, uh, the start of his life was very different than the second half of his life. Uh, I didn't know him in the first half of his life, but apparently he was, he was a very different character in the first part of his life, and then he was transformed by God. And the second half of his life, uh, he was the man that I knew him to be. And uh, he was full of generosity, of uh, kindness, of uh, submission, of affection. And uh, he was just a, a, a wonderful man. And although he was, my, he was my grandfather and he was in a position of authority over me, he was never authoritarian. He may well have... have uh, corrected me and guided me and asked me to do things, but he was not authoritarian. And uh, he just always seemed to live a life in which he was, he was serving us as grandchildren. He was, he was submissive to us, even though he was in a position of authority over us. I think that might be a big question we may have in the Christian life is, how can we, how can we live a life particularly of submission towards people over whom we have authority? How can we submit to children or grandchildren and yet maintain the fact that we have authority? We have responsibility, and that responsibility is exercised through authority. And to me, my grandfather was a, a wonderful example of this. Um, sometimes after school, we'd go down, after primary school, it was only a couple of hundred yards away from my Granny and Granda's home would go down, and uh, we'd see them every Sunday afternoon, and uh, after we'd had lunch, we'd go down and see them, and quite often he'd take the, the Bruins and Orwelly comic out of the uh, Scottish, what's it called, Sunday Post, the Scottish newspaper, and uh, he would put them aside for us, and I'd sit in the corner and read uh, the cartoons, and he would have a glass of either orange cordial or Lucasade for me, and some ginger snap biscuits. Uh, the routine was the same every week, and he normally had, always had polo mints or cinnamon lozenges in his pocket, and he always had 10 peas, and he'd give me a 10 pea quite often most weeks, and my brothers and sisters too. And it may not sound a whole lot, but I'm now 50 years old, and 10 pea bought a lot because a bag of crisps was 2p, whenever that, I was that age. I'm giving the game away now. And sometimes when my mom and dad were away on business, we would go down and stay in my nanny and granda's house. And uh, even now, from, from those what must be very early years in my life, I vividly remember the meticulous way that they looked after us as grandchildren. And uh, when you were tucked into bed at night, you couldn't move because there were so many quilts and duvets and sheets. It was like you were absolutely roasted, and you woke up the next morning, and you hadn't moved. Remember, they wanted to make sure we didn't go sleepwalking or something during the night, and we're pinned down. You come the next morning, breakfast was all ready, and uh, I'll never forget the fact that every time we stay with my grandparents, my school shoes were taken, and they were polished until they shone, and they were left at the front door, ready for me to go to primary school. And the fact was, as I look back now, I recognize the Christ-like humility of my grandfather 
who lived a life of submission, including submitting to those over whom he had authority. And actually, because of the way he lived his life, no matter what he would have asked me to do, I would have gladly done it. Because he lived a life of love where he didn't exercise authority out of his position. He exercised authority out of love. And so me and my brother and sister and cousins, we would do anything that he asked us to do. But that's not why he did it. He did it because he wanted to, to listen to us and to love us and to be generous towards us. The letter that we had read this morning by Jill shows how Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, in a position of authority, similarly submits to, to everyone that we read about in this letter. And so Paul writes to Philemon, and Philemon, we imagine, is a Roman citizen. He's quite wealthy because the church in Colossae meets in his home. I don't know what size the church was. It might have been 20 people or 60 people or 100 people. I don't know, but it tells us something about Philemon and the fact that he was wealthy enough to own slaves. In Roman society at that time, that was just a given, that if you were a Roman citizen, then quite often you would have slaves. And so Paul writes to Philemon, and Paul is in prison once again for his faith. He's in prison a number of times, and he's in prison either in Ephesus or in Rome. We're not quite sure where he is. And he writes, and what has happened is that Philemon has a slave called Onesimus, and Onesimus has committed a crime against Philemon, and he's fled. And either by intention or by God incidents, Onesimus finds his way to Paul in prison. And in that place, he too comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul has this situation through no plan of his own where he has two brothers in Christ, one of whom is Philemon, a wealthy Roman citizen in the city of Colossae, and one which, who is with Paul in another city, Onesimus, who has also come to faith in Christ, and Onesimus is the slave of Philemon. And under Roman law, if you harbored a runaway slave, it was a serious criminal offense. Now, Paul wasn't harboring Onesimus because Paul was the one in prison, and Onesimus was the free man, but he was a runaway slave. And so, you can imagine the temptation that Paul had. I imagine, first of all, just to think, well, what Philemon doesn't know can't hurt him. And thinks, well, why don't we let sleeping dogs lie? You know all those wonderful cliches that basically are a case of let's do nothing in this situation because it's just too intricate and too difficult and too complex to do anything about it. And I imagine that was a major temptation for Paul. He says, Onesimus is tending to me in, in prison. The name Onesimus means useful. The temptation would have been for Paul to say, let sleeping dogs lie. Slavery is a terrible thing anyway, so let's not change the status quo. I think the second temptation for Paul, once he got through that one well, was to write something like this to Philemon. To Philemon from Paul the Apostle, the missionary leader of the church planted in Colossae, of which you and your household are part, 
Onesimus messes with me and very useful to me as I suffer here in prison for the faith. I think we can both agree that I need him more than you do. So Onesimus will stay with me. I've sent this letter to you, and I hereby command you to write in reply, pardoning Onesimus and granting him freedom from the abomination which is slavery. Sounds reasonable to take that option and to say slavery is a terrible thing, and perhaps even commanding a Philemon to say, I hereby... I hereby order you to release all your slaves as a Christian fellow of mine, as a partner in the gospel. I command you to release all your slaves and to release Onesimus because slavery is a terrible thing. And perhaps for good measure, Paul could have written to the Roman emperor and could have said to him, Emperor, we have come to realize the revelation of Jesus Christ that, salv- that, that slavery is a terrible thing. I therefore urge you to put an edict that all slavery throughout the Roman Empire should become completely illegal from this moment forward. It sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It sounds like a type of thing that God might want to do. But it's a bit like someone in McGabry Prison writing to Boris Johnson and saying, we know that petrol and diesel cars are terrible pollutants. They cause terrible greenhouse gases. Mr. Johnson, would you please issue a decree that at 12 noon tomorrow that all petrol and diesel cars should become banned from UK roads? What would happen? Nothing would happen. Mr. Johnson, if the letter ever got as far as his desk, I imagine it would be filed in the round filing cabinet on the floor. Because what power does a prisoner in Mugabri prison have to change economic policy and green policy, environmental policy throughout the UK? And the fact is, that is not the way that God works. Because God does not throw his weight around. What God does, who, what God does is, to, is to use his authority through love and humility and through submission. So we may often ask the question, why does God allow that atrocity to happen? And the answer is, because God does not work by throwing his weight around. God works through submission and through humility and through compassion and through love. He does not forcibly exert his rightful authority to make us do things. That's not the way God works. That's not the way Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ came among us, and the Bible tells us in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of all of his rights and all of his privileges and all the power that goes with being the Son of God, and he submitted, and he even submitted to death, even though he thoroughly disagreed with it. And he did what no other human being and no other agency could do. He reconciled God to human beings. And how did he do it? He submitted to every single human being that he ever came in contact with. But he never ceased to be the Son of God. But he also became the Son of Man born as a human being 2,000 years ago, 
and he lived a life of submission. He could have so easily have gone around and said, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what you must do. But he relied solely on the authority that comes from love. Just like my grandfather only ever, it seemed to me, exercised authority out of love, not from his position. Now, Paul didn't cease to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to have this special calling. But in so many of his other letters, Paul begins the letter by saying, I, Paul, apostle to Jesus Christ. But in this letter, he doesn't even mention the fact that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he doesn't want to throw his weight around. And so instead, he describes himself as an old man and a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's not going to force Philemon to do what Philemon might not want to do. Instead, he pleads with Philemon for the life of Onesimus. He writes, first of all, and he paints this picture of partnership where he, he talks about having this koinonia, this partnership with, with Philemon, and he paints this picture in the letter. He's saying, I'm standing, and I, I celebrate the partnership that we have together, Philemon, in the gospel of Christ. And then he paints a picture as he writes the letter to Philemon, and he says, and also uh, Onesimus is is with me. In fact, he's probably the one carrying the letter to you. And uh, Onesimus is my son, my very heart. And so he paints this picture where he, Paul, is standing and he's showing the fact that he's in partnership both with Philemon and also with Onesimus. And he's saying to him, I'm sending him back to you. It's up to you, Philemon, to decide what you do with him. Now, everybody knows, Onesimus knows, Philemon knows, Paul knows that the likely thing to happen to a runaway slave was a beating, or actually in probably most instances it was death. And so Paul is writing knowing that Onesimus, the carrier of the letter, his life depends on what Paul writes in this letter. And Paul's also aware that if Philemon chooses to do what Paul asks him to do and pleads him to do, that Philemon's name will be a laughing stock in the city of Colossae. Because he will do something utterly scandalous. If he treats Onesimus as a brother, he will not beat him, he will not kill him, he will not do what Roman society calls him to do and he will become a laughingstock among his non-Christian friends. Because he treats a runaway slave who's committed a crime against him as a brother, and he welcomes him back. And here's the thing about Paul's letter to Philemon. It doesn't say, all slavery is wrong, abolish it now, let's write to the emperor, petition, and get it overturned because it's so wrong. But here's the thing about the letter to Philemon. It leaves slavery absolutely nowhere to go. Because the outworking of it is this. What if every person who believes in the new humanity of Christ 
were to treat those who were slaves as better than slaves, in fact, as brothers. The outworking of this letter is utterly explosive for a Roman empire that's built on slavery. It's as powerful as William Wilberforce calling the people of England and the United Kingdom to abolish slavery because the country was built on the back of slaves. And what Paul writes to Philemon leaves slavery absolutely nowhere to go. And so Paul is amazing in this letter, not only, he doesn't call himself an apostle, and also unlike all of his other letters, he doesn't talk about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ or that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Isn't it amazing that Paul has written a letter and he doesn't talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he doesn't talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does he just forget to write about it? No, I think the reason why he doesn't say it is because Paul, in this letter, is imitating the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. He's standing with one arm round Onesimus, and he wants to put one arm round Philemon. He wants to do something that reflects the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was standing with one arm round the Father and the Father round Him as the Son of God, who entered into the world and offered forgiveness and offered community between us and the Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, even today, issues this invitation to join Him, to partner with Him in community. And in the midst of that, He says, if there's anything owing, if there's any debt, if there's anything that has to be charged, if there's any damage done, then charge it to me. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. He has stood in the gap between God and humankind, and He said, whatever damage has been done, charge it to me. And so Paul, in this letter, he knows that Philemon won't miss this, that Paul is standing in the gap between Onesimus and Philemon. He's got one arm around Onesimus, his very heart, his own son in the faith, and he's saying to Philemon, I plead with you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, be reconciled, be reconciled to Onesimus. Treat him not as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. And this letter reaches out that arm to Philemon. And you know, I think because in the New Testament, I think we can guess what Philemon does. I think if Onesimus had been beaten or killed, we probably wouldn't have this letter in the New Testament. But Paul is standing in the gap between the two men. And Jesus Christ has died to free us from slavery. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul writes this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. 
what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The picture I've had in my mind over these last days is of Jesus coming to a slave market, and we are on sale. And he digs down deep into his pocket, and he buys us. And he sets us free. And he sets us free to live a life of submission. You see, that's what Paul did. He said to Onesimus, I want to encourage you. Take your life in your hands with your faith in God, and as a runaway slave, I want you, I'm asking you to go and to submit to Onesimus, your master. And Paul submits to Onesimus by teaching him the gospel and loving him and nurturing him and praying for him and writing this letter where he's saying, please, Onesimus, please treat this man as your brother. He's submitting to Philemon. He's pleading with him. Treat this man as a free man. And Jesus Christ came among us in this world to live a life of submission that honors our free will and encourages us to come into this wonderful partnership with God, no longer as people who are slaves, but as people who are utterly free. And to live a life of submission. Submitting to the people who are in authority over us, whether that's a headmaster or a school teacher or um, a parent or a boss in work or um, whoever it happens to be, that we willingly submit to them because they're in a position of authority and God has placed them there. And we submit to every authority except when we see it completely run against what God's will is. And we also submit to those over whom we have authority, whether children or grandchildren or school pupils or employees or whoever it happens to be. And yet we never cease to exercise that position that we've been given responsibility in. We do not abdicate our responsibility as a parent or a grandparent or a manager or a teacher or whatever it happens to be. We are still in that position of authority. And yet we are not authoritarian. And so we submit even to those over whom we have authority. And the outworking of this is the utter transformation of the human race. There's a song which I just want to read. It's a, a verse in a song called Surrender that goes like this. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. 
I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you. All to you. I know that the path of humility seems a very risky business to us. It seems risky to seek to live a life guided by the Holy Spirit of submission. I think often we think that humility is thinking less of ourselves, but humility is thinking of ourselves less. It is actually discovering dignity because we treat other people with dignity, and by doing so, we discover a new dignity ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So this morning, I don't know whether there's a, there's a need for some type of reconciliation in your life. Perhaps there is someone with whom there is a frayed or seemingly broken relationship, and uh, the Lord is calling you to pray about it and be guided by the Holy Spirit and to seek to know how in submission to Him and submission to other people, you can actually lay down your rights, lay down that sense of, I know I'm right, I know I'm right, I know I'm right, and lay it down before God. And say, you know, what even if I am right? What does it even matter? Or perhaps this morning, if you don't know that reconciling love of Jesus Christ, who has one arm around the Father, and the Father has one arm around Him, and Jesus, in that cruciform pose, as it were, is handing out this offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. He is offering us to come into the community of God. This whole series of weeks is about submission and community. And we have two choices. We can go down the road of selfishness and sin, and every time we get an opportunity to exercise our rights or to say, these are my rights, and I want these rights to be exercised, every time we do that, we push other people away, and we break community, and we head towards isolation and misery, and the Bible says even death itself. But if we submit to other people, then we discover what community looks like. And we discover the joy of living in community. And we discover the joy of being a people who are always saying, I have equal concern for everyone around me. No one is a slave. No one is a second-class citizen. No one is the property of another person. Imagine if we as a human race did that, would there be 39 people dead in a container in England? There wouldn't. This powerful letter of Paul to Philemon blows slavery out of the water. We may wonder, what can we do? Where, where can we start? And the answer is to live a life like Jesus Christ. To live a life of utter submission where we recognize the image of God in every single human being, no matter what their color, no matter what their age, no matter what their gender, no matter what their income, no matter what. 
and we serve them and we submit to them and we love them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us into life. It leads us into joy and it will utterly transform this world. Shall we stand together?